AVXL episode 183 was recorded on May 26, 2022. Plex brings back the home theater PC. LG's got another Cinebeam projector. Some listener help bringing Bluetooth and Roku together. And what do you do when your open box deal is broke? All that and so much more coming up. And do us a favor, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Seriously, without your monthly contributions, we could not do this show. And heads up, we got a hangout coming up next week. Testing one, two, three. All right, I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. I hate to end, to start the show on a, on a bit of a low note, but I'm pretty sure the very first Blu-ray Robert and I saw together, and it's we it, it was a mess. It was beautiful. It was a mess. It was fascinating, uh, and it starred Ray Liotta. And pour one out for Ray Liotta, the star of Goodfellas, which was that very first Blu-ray on that very first Blu-ray machine that was the size of a washing machine. No, it wasn't that big, but it was heavy. Um, Goodfellas, Field of Dreams, and so many others. He passed in his sleep on the set of a movie shoot in the Dominican Republic this week. That's the reports that are out. Uh, and to commemorate his passing, I'm going to be watching 91's Goodfellas, which quite frankly should have won the Oscar that year over Dances with Wolves. And I definitely need to chase down a copy of Something Wild, the 86 Jonathan Dem film he shot where he was the bad guy against Melanie Griffith and Jeff Daniels. It is a, it's a pretty spectacular flick. Uh, well, spectacular not in the sense of like i don't know top gun but spectacular in its own sort of weird and wonderful way uh more recently you might know leota's work from uh his voicing of gta vice city and uh he did a really good job and a not so great flick the many saints of newark mr leota was 67 oh yeah it makes me want to fire up vice city i do appreciate his contribution to that that Pretty much oh made that, that voice. Yeah. And that character within the game. <laughs> Good oh times. I, you and I, I think, I think the first, uh, I, I remember you and I um, starting Goodfellas with, the, you know, Ray Liotta doing the voiceover as Henry Hill and watching that opening scene. Like, you know, I think I watched it eight or 12 times because it was mind blowing. Doesn't the, it have the, the super close up of his eye? Yeah. 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 Or the, the child actor playing him where it's right. Um, so I mean, but that was like, on one hand, those, those first transfers were not made from the best quality sources. On the other hand, it was so obvious that we were going to go to a totally, the resolution was extraordinary and the colors were extraordinary. Um, it had a it rough start for a format. But it, it, oh my goodness. it got its stuff together, so to speak. <laughs> Turned out okay. <laughs> that it did. So uh, you've probably noticed uh, over the years that I tend to buy a lot of uh, used gear or open box gear or refurbished gear. And part of that's because, especially in certain parts of the headphone world, there are people who like buy and sell headphones like they're changing socks. And uh, I think my favorite was like a couple months after a particularly nice pair of Dan Clark headphones came out. I bought them used, barely used, for half what they cost new. That's my kind of deal because, you know, I have children to feed. And, um, you know, but open box stuff, refurbished gear is usually pretty good. Uh, finally, 
for the first time in a very, very long time, I got something that was broken. And it's interesting because there's a warranty from the company, but there's also a two-year warranty from the online uh, place I bought it from. I'll give you a hint, but I won't identify them directly. It is a large online retailer, primarily known for music and production gear or, you know, like instruments oh, and stuff. I know who you're talking uh, about. <laughs> yeah. And they've, apparently it's got like a two-year warranty, so we'll see how it goes, uh, which also had me thinking one of the advantages uh, to more high-end audio manufacturers dot, 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 less so as consolidation brings a lot of manufacturers together and an effort to reduce uh, overall costs. But, you know, I remember, for example, I said a, a B&W bookshelf speakers and the drivers for those speakers were available for years after uh, they stopped, you know, selling the speakers, the line in the speaker was replaced. But um, that's kind of a big deal. Not particularly because the drivers are going to wear out, but if there's an accident, uh, you know, if you have grandchildren or children that have peanut butter or fingers, peanut butter and tweeters are not perfect together. Fingers and woofers are a bad combination. Um, but a lot of high-end audio manufacturers, and even maybe more boutique, not even especially particularly expensive, they usually actually have repair options or parts that are available. And like I mentioned, drivers for speakers long after they stop, they're, you know, right. selling that lineup, the ability to have an in-house department to repair older amps. Um, not always, but way more likely than, say, a $350 integrated amp off of Amazon, where... One, does the company still exist? Do they answer the phone? You know, was the warranty longer than 90 days? Is there any actual ability to repair anything on the densely populated surface mount devices on the circuit board inside of it, if you can even get the enclosure open? Um, and that's tough, right? Because I'm, I'm a big, you know, reuse, reduce, recycle, repair, keep things going, dot, dot, dot. But when you're looking at, you know, paying a technician $100 an hour to do a couple, three hours of diagnostic work on something that costs you $300 new and is a few years old, things get tough at that point. So at the very least, do yourself a favor, make sure it's properly recycled or e-cycled and uh, something to think about. Totally. There was a, a, a conversation uh, in the last week or two about high-end stuff, but uh, it's definitely an advantage on a lot of the high-end gear. I was mildly surprised to realize how many of the TV reviewers I see on YouTube will purchase a TV knowing full well they're not actually going to keep it and <laughs> do what they can with it for less than 30 days and return it. And there's something about that that does not please me in terms of just yeah. what a pain in the ass it must be for retailers. And if you wonder where all of these uh, electronics come from, where oh, all these open boxes, <laughs> buy it gently used. And you hope, and that's the one thing, you just don't know what somebody's done with a product. And so right. it's good to have some kind of warranty or have somebody check it before it's actually shipped out. Either way, if you do happen to purchase anything new with a credit card, the credit card typically will add an extra year or more to your warranty plan. So keep that in mind if you've uh, ran out of options on something that croaked on you and you recently purchased mm -hmm. it or purchased it within the last, say, year or two. You'd be surprised. Sometimes you can get good service from the, uh, <laughs> the credit card companies in terms of helping you out with something like that. That's a good thing. And it's also a reminder, especially if you're buying open box or used stuff, is, is, you know, do they have a return policy? What is the return policy? Is the return policy involve a restocking fee or, you know, is it going to be something that's incredibly expensive good to point. ship? 
if you're buying a refurbished laptop from Apple, your exposure on that's pretty minimal. If you're buying a, you know, set of Sony wireless headphones off eBay from Shrapnel 76432, maybe not so much. You know, I got to say, most of the people I've dealt with purchasing online have been incredibly honorable, but there's also cases where they make it really obvious that, you know, we do not accept returns and which I translate as don't buy this if I can't afford to walk away from the cash. Right. <laughs> On the point. upside, it's not like a Kickstarter where you're waiting two years to find out if you pissed your money down a hole or not. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I caught this on How To Geek. I was kind of surprised. I'll just leave you with the headline in one paragraph. HTPCs are back. Plex revives its app for home theater PCs. And uh, it's really simple. Quote, the new Plex home theater PC application looks and works almost exactly like Plex's other TV apps. That means many newer features that weren't backported to the old home theater PC app are available for the first time, like the free libraries of movies and shows, skip intro support, and live TV. Uh, it's got the ability to work with any of a number of controllers and remote you know, devices. Um, will require 64-bit Windows 10 or later, uh, Mac OS 10.13 High Sierra or later, or Linux operating system with Snap support. That's nice. So, Good OS support, yeah. easy OS support. The one thing, though, is that I've kind of moved away from using an HTPC for doing this kind of thing with Plex. They have a generally solid package that works with a variety of Synology products for their NAS boxes. And it's very easy to install that package right on the NAS box itself and have it run right from there and then stream it to either the app on a TV or your mobile device. And that's another way to do it as well if you don't want to dedicate a personal computer to it. But if you have an old laptop laying around or, you know, something that's not getting used and is relatively efficient this would be a cool way to do it and with pcs if you need something like real-time transcoding or some other high-end function that can really tax a value synology product <laughs> or it simply yeah. won't support certain features because of the lack of the cpu unless you upgrade of course uh, this is right. one way to do it and the fact that they're supporting you know windows mac and linux hey they've covered their bases nicely that's cool it's nice to have options Curious to see how popular this app becomes. It's something I should experiment with just to kind of put it head to head with having it built in right to the NAS box itself through a, an right. app. LG's got a new flagship ultra short throw tri-laser projector, which is actually kind of surprising given they just dropped the HU-715QW back in February. But meet the HU-915QE. Um, one of the things that kind of surprised me is... Uh, so they, they sort of give you the distance from the wall versus the screen size. And I think these are good for up to 120 inches. But they're saying now their 100-inch screen distance has gone from 8.5 inches on the 715 to 4 inches on the 915. LG says the new projector has better contrast and probably the most noticeable thing, 3,700 ANSI lumens for that 915 up from 2,500 on the 715, which is a big jump in brightness. Uh, Protector Central says it uses the larger 0.67-inch 4K DLP chip that uses two-phase pixel shifting rather than the four-phase scheme found with the more widely used 0.47-inch chip. And quote, generally speaking, anything you can make bigger between the light source and the lens and your eyeballs is a positive thing. 
The HU915QE is also twice the cost of the HU715QW. That was $3,000. The 915 is $6,000. 3,700 lumens, seriously bright for a laser projector. Yeah. Seriously bright for a laser projector. So keep in mind, too, with brightness claims, they're, they're claiming better contrast and it likely does measure better. But the way they're probably achieving that is by simply pumping more light. I doubt their black right. level has improved at all compared to the previous chips. Yeah. I'd like to dig in more about the difference in any kind of technical performance between something like that 0.67 inch 4K DLP chip versus the the smaller one. And if there is something like perhaps either contrast or well, I guess just being bigger gives you bigger pixels in a sense. So mm -hmm. eh, we'll see if there's one thing about this new projector, I kind of take a little uh, jab at would be calling it a tri-laser projector, which is technically accurate, but it is not an RGB laser projector. It is still just a red and blue laser with a phosphor material to generate the other tones, so to speak, and colors. But still, that's a pretty good price for a what should be a very high-performance projector in a short-throw design, and that could work in a variety of spaces. And LG also incorporates some of the best calibration features I see in projectors today in terms of ease of use and accuracy that is achievable. Those two things are also what add to that cost as well, but still, uh, right. I like it. We've talked about Sonarworks tools for calibrating headphones. Uh, they originally started out, I think, doing speakers for studio use, same thing for headphones. The idea is that their calibration will make your headphones more neutral or accurate. I think it's probably the first time I've ever heard of them getting anything on around surround sound. They they just came out with sound, or they launched Sound ID Reference for multi-channel. So heads up, this is really for studio folks, not home use, although I don't see why you couldn't use it at home if you wanted to. The objective of Sound ID Reference for multi-channel is to enable anyone to calibrate their multi-channel system on their own in a simple, reliably accurate, and consistent manner within an hour. Uh, and actually fairly affordable by the standards of studio gear. It's uh, $250 to $550, depending on if it's an upgrade to an existing Sound ID reference account, or if you want a standalone install uh, that includes a bundled microphone. I was laughing. The difference between the full bundle with and without the microphone is $50. So once again, you don't necessarily need an incredibly expensive microphone to do calibration. But a heads up to anybody out there who's kind of curious. Uh, if Sonarworks and Sound ID sound vaguely familiar, uh, and you you don't remember ever doing anything with Sonarworks, uh, you probably have a set of earbuds or headphones with their Sound ID audio personalization system built in. So, and I'm uh, kind of curious if anybody out there has, has gone through the whole calibration. So, calibration is a strong word. The sort of do you like this sound or do you like this sound kind of experience. At least it was in the last Sound ID setup I did. Uh, do me a favor, email ask at avxl.com. Very curious to hear your opinion of the experience and how you like the sound before and after. Hey, we had a quick follow-up as well on the Onkyo bankruptcy story we talked about in the last episode. Audioholics had some additional information. Uh, we mentioned that Vox and Sharp had acquired the brand, and that makes them part of Premium Audio, which also owns Clips, Yamo, Hecko, Pioneer Elite, and Energy, amongst others. Warranties will continue to be honored, and its AV receivers and other equipment will continue to be made, provided they can fish for the chips required to assemble and fix them. Huh. It's a nice turn of phrase by Audioholics there, but <laughs> that was that was some information I didn't see anywhere else. So, That's good to know, though. 
So it is. if you have one of these products, there will still be some support for it. <laughs> it's nice when they still have support. You have not Whether or not that extends to firmware upgrades and stuff like that, I don't know. But apparently they want to continue the brand and continue making AVRs. So... Uh, quick heads up, if you're in the subwoofer, wireless speaker, or small speaker kind of mood, SVS has their Memorial Day sale at their outlet. They got some quality subs on discounts, uh, and actually there's some pretty good deals on their speakers and prime wireless speakers, too. Ooh. Just a quick heads up if you're shopping. I need a sub! <laughs> I need more subs. One sub or mini subs? Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> Additional yes. subs. <laughs> Well, I haven't done a, a who has subs in the Well, SVS obviously has subwoofers in stock. And uh, RSL, who do the speed woofer, are, have sold out their last shipment. I haven't checked shoe in a while. And I'm not going to because we're recording a podcast. <laughs> hey, quick heads up. May 31st, 2022, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. That's going to be our next AVXL hangout. We're going to have a link for patrons at patreon.com slash AVXL. And speaking of patrons, thank you. Seriously, everybody that's gone to patreon.com slash AVXL and become a patron of the podcast, we really appreciate it. And uh, we're going to continue our thank you tour. We are now up to February of 2016, so we're going to thank Pedro Sanbu, Kevin, Joe Gillard, Mark Polak, Mike P. Kennedy, and Roy Berg for your continued support. We appreciate you. And uh, seriously, everybody that supports us at patreon.com slash AVXL, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You make this show possible. Indeed. Hey, we also have a follow-up for using Bluetooth, in terms of headphones at least, with your Roku. A listener named Lee from Sudbury, Ontario, Canada emailed us and he said, Hey guys, I've been watching and listening since the screensaver days. Thank you. And uh, he thanks us for the decades of content and sorry for aging both of us with that comment. (laughs) Hey, that's okay, man. Time is time. We're not dead. That's a good thing. Exactly. I am breathing. Uh, in episode 182, Robert talks about wishing he could use Bluetooth headphones with the Roku. If you use the app on your phone, the Roku app, you can use remote listening, which will allow you to use a Bluetooth headset. I know it's not native and requires another step, but it is an option. Thanks again for doing what you guys do, signed Lee. That is a much better solution than waiting for Roku to actually provide this feature built in, of course. And and a follow-up to that follow-up, Bai also emailed and added, I've tried using the Roku remote headphone listening, and it works well, but it drains the remote's batteries. What I do instead is use my Roku app on my phone to stream the audio that way. Then I don't have to worry about the remote batteries or even where it is since I use a Harmony remote. Bai also mentioned uh, Roku is platform of choice. He also asked, why do so many apps incorrectly implement Rewind? The Roku has a nice feature where you can set it up to show subtitles when you skip back X seconds, but several apps don't work. Looking at you, Amazon and Apple. Can't wait till the next episode. Thanks. Bye. Um, well, one of the reasons uh, apps don't correctly implement features is because they haven't finished them or they can't make them run or they're broken or an API changed. I think mostly it have, probably has a lot to do with how or where their subtitles are encoded. In any case, generally speaking, um, the app creator is going to blame the platform, and the platform is going to blame the app creator. And either way, 
there's almost nothing you can do except for send, you know, emails or, you know, post on a, a forum for the app vendor or the app creator and Roku. Hey, feedback uh, is important. Get it out yeah. there if you can. It may actually implement the change you're looking for. Yeah. Boy, Amazon and Apple, though, they're big. <laughs> I do not watch anything from either of those services, and I may be in the minority on that, but it's just not my uh, platforms of choice. Although we have an Apple TV in the house that is used practically every day. <laughs> I, I bet you enjoy Reacher. You would probably enjoy Reacher on uh, Amazon Prime Video. Just going to leave that there. Yep. I canceled my Amazon Prime. I'm done with it. Well, maybe. <laughs> what? Fine. No Reacher for you. No Robert. Reacher for me, man. Sam emailed Acid AV Excel. He's got a JVC RS6710 projector and a Stewart Cinema 125 inch 235 to 1 screen. Ooh. And he's got some problems with white level crush. He's trying to dial it out. He says, in the past, I've used my eye and an AVS HD709 disc to set the brightness and contrast. I've also used SpectraCal C3 to help as well. Using either custom or THX mode, I don't seem to be able to find a happy place that does not crush the whites without a lot of screen dimming. I've used a few sources, but mainly an NVIDIA Shield, which does work famously on all my other screens. My question is, could the fact that the screen is a 1.1 gain cause a crush on the whites? If so, I could live with it. Watching the latest Death on the Nile outdoor shots was particularly not fun compared to my OLED. Thanks for any insight in my question, Sam. Man, okay, so... If you're hearing crushing whites or crushing black levels, um, you know they're kind of the inverse to each other, and they're kind of the same thing. Essentially, it means you lose details. Uh, in crushing whites, you lose details in the brightest parts of the screen. In crushing blacks, you, you lose details in the darkest part of the screens. This is something that happens on TVs and projectors. Uh, getting slightly more technical, and feel free to start giggling at any moment, Robert. Crushing whites means your screen or projector is set up so that all the shades of white beyond a certain point are essentially painted in the same color. That's it? Yeah. It, you know, if you've ever adjusted the brightness or contrast settings with one of those five-bar uh, test screens, you know, you, you know, adjust the brightness until you can distinctly see all five bars on the screen, you know, when you're running a calibration uh, Blu-ray or DVD. That's essentially, if, if you've got it so that all the bars look the same color, you are crushing your white levels. If all the, the black to gray bars are the same color, you're crushing your black levels. Um, and you may not care. And in many cases, you may not even notice, depending on the movie. But if you do notice it, uh, what you're going to notice is like the subtle details, the colors that make up the details in a cloud. And think of all those, you know, pinkish, grayish, bluish tones that aren't exactly white, but are close to white. And now get out your mental crayon and just color that over in a single shade of white. And you've now crushed the whites uh, in that scene. It's still a cloud shape, um, but it's, you know, without all the subtleties that give it life and depth. And it really pisses off directors of photography because they work really hard to get that in there um sometimes it's not there in the original content sometimes it gets squeezed out by streaming compression um, sometimes you've just hit the limits of the capabilities or calibration of your system i don't think it's the screen uh, for what that's worth one-to-one -one gain uh, means you're getting 110 percent of the light that hits it 
and you know 1.0 to 1.3 and 1.3 would be like you know 30 percent gain those are considered low gain screens um and i don't think that extra bit of brightness helps but i can't help but wondering about you know if there's any ambient light in the room the jvc is in or if you know you're hitting the kind of limitations of the projector that's a seven year old 1300 lumen projector design doing pixel shifting with a 1080p chip um it's going to have some challenges, I think, in the brightest sections of modern HDR cinematic productions. So Sam's also kind of discovered, in a sense, one of the ways you can make a picture appear brighter is by clipping the bright levels on right. the picture that is presented. Uh, you essentially take any detail above a certain level and make it all one brightness. There is no distinct detail between levels beyond a certain point. And within JVC's projectors and within many projectors I look at, there is an input level setting that you can check. And I imagine he's already played with this. And if you do set it from the auto or the standard mode that keeps it within that quote unquote safe range, uh, typically it's described as from level 16 to level 235. And as we just mentioned, most video content actually falls within that dynamic range. However, there is content out there that can extend beyond that bright end, the 235 range, up to 255. And within many projectors, you'll find a setting called either enhanced or super white, which will then reveal those settings. Uh, on your particular projector, that THX mode is actually using the super white settings, which expands it from 16 to 235 to 16 to 255, giving you the full range of white detail that you can then dial to whatever you see fit. However, as you've discovered, that will take away some of the absolute brightness because the projector is having to now recreate these distinct levels in the peak bright end of that grayscale setup. I agree, it's probably not the screen. That gain does not seem out of control to me at all. I would say it's more of a choice now between do you want that extra boost out of a projector or are you looking to actually see the best detail possible in the brightest portions of the picture by enabling one of those modes. In particular, super white's the one I tend to see the most often in the settings available. One option might be to take that super white setting with the appropriate test pattern and simply dial it back above that 235 range, but maybe not quite up to 255. And the other thing to keep in mind too, is that the more you increase contrast, which is really what's gonna get you your brightness in terms of the picture quality, the more you generally turn it up, you can also introduce some types of colorization or the grayscale ends up changing color and becoming either reddish or pinkish looking. And that's where I think you've taken it too high and I would back it down a little bit. Uh, just to get the best possible picture out of it. But either way, it's the thing about brightness. Uh, it, it's usually <laughs> tied directly to your contrast performance. Right. And by default, projectors generally go with that safe range of 16 to 235, which covers the majority of the content we have in order to provide literally the max brightness out of it, potentially. There you have it. Hey, a quick shout out to Justin Sluss over at High Def Disc News for the heads up on the Untouchables coming to 4K UHD Blu-ray May 31st. 
in part because I am a huge Untouchables fan and in part because uh, Justin's a great source for finding out which Blu-rays are particularly good or maybe not so good in terms of the additional features, but more importantly, the actual quality of the transfer. It sounds like this release is a big step up from the Blu-ray, uh, not just on the visual presentation, but the audio that they sourced with it too. Um, Blu-ray's audio was not so awesome. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, on one hand, it was fine because I'm pretty sure I thought I saw it in the theater that might have been stereo, um, might, but, uh, if you've never been to high depth news, uh, and you're curious about Blu-rays and UHDs and you want to find out what's going on or see some fantastic screenshots of them, go check out Justin's work over at high depth disc news. That is still one of the best benefits of, I think, disc based content is the fact that there really are very little in the way of bandwidth restrictions in terms of audio and video. Uh, Audio-wise, you can have like a 7 megabit signal coming through. And that is pretty impressive in terms of just like, wow, that's a lot of audible information being delivered in addition to something like up to <laughs> 100 megabit for video. And either way, don't, don't totally diss a disc if you've never... It, if you have a great setup, it's nice every once in a while to put on something that is equally as nice yeah. content that can match what a display can do or at least show it off in the best way possible yeah streaming's getting better but it's still not flawless all the time i think about that not at all i think about that a lot especially when i'm half awake and watching netflix at two in the morning there when you go man my visual quality is obviously a priority. <laughs> or me watching or listening to YouTube on my phone as I lay in bed. And speaking of YouTube, there is a wonderful channel called Two Minute Papers that is a wonderful channel that presents some of the latest research into AI programs, machine learning, modeling, all sorts of cool stuff, typically comparing the previous generation of work with the current generation or the latest state of the art and doing it in a very visual way that uh, you can just appreciate even if you don't dig into the research papers and other linked information like that. A recent video, though, did highlight Google's MuZero from the DeepMind Research Group. Uh, MuZero, for example, mastered chess, Go, Shogi, and all Atari games without needing to be told the rules. MuZero is an update from AlphaGo and the other AIs that were game trained, so to speak, and became masters of either board games that we all know and love or some of the best video games out there and are able to defeat the very best players in the world. Now, MuZero is that latest example, and they decided it's time to take this technology and actually apply it to something in the real world. And they set out at taking a shot at tweaking the settings for VP9 video compression. And the short story is, is they achieved about a 4% file size and bitrate improvement with equal or better quality. And that is compared to human beings tinkering for decades to get the most out of our video encoding techniques. And it really is not a bad crack at a real world problem for the MuZero system. One interesting tidbit that the two minute papers video highlighted was how if you can gamify a problem, where the system can use the results and feedback to tweak and retry, it can achieve some pretty impressive results. And you think about, say, 4% savings in either bitrate or bandwidth or file size on a system, say, as large as YouTube, that would be pretty damn significant, considering a lot of video you see from YouTube is delivered in that VP9 video format. And this paper at least sounds like a first attempt 
And I could see this just slowly being ground on and improved even further down the road. There are a lot of knobs to turn in video encoding in terms of what kind of features and bit rates and quality you're looking for. And I think this is a perfect way to take some of these AI programs and actually put them to work on something. Eh, granted, it's not life-changing in terms of video compression, but there are other applications out there which could very well be as important or more so, uh, especially in the field of medicine. And I just thought it was a really cool paper uh, presented by a very charismatic professor. And if you've never checked out Two Minute Papers on YouTube, it is a wonderful channel. I highly recommend. And that was just a cool way to see something. It's like, great, they got an AI that can beat anyone at any game. But hey, how about if we actually <laughs> do something else with it now? And, you know, it's growing up. The AI programs are getting better and better. And I, I just appreciated this, I think, accessible real world program that they tackled. Thought it was pretty cool. It is pretty cool. It's nice to see AI do useful things. Got a favorite show you want to share with the audience? A movie you think is the most amazing way to demo how awesome your home theater is? A question about the technologies that are constantly ebbing and shifting or products you should buy? Ask us a question. Email us, ask at avxcel.com or tweet at Robert Heron at Patrick Norton or at avxcel. Uh, we, are, we are here listening because we do this show for you. Uh, and without you, we don't know how to do the show or who to do the show for. I think, which is almost like a coherent concept. But do us a favor. We're lonely. Email us, askdavexl.com. <laughs> we love hearing from you. We really do. That's a much that's a, a much less needy thing to say. Uh, you know, if, if there's something, you know, if there's things that are bothering you or things you're looking to make better in your home theater, uh, email us. We'll do our best to help out. Yeah. With that oddness to the side, <laughs> I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.